0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy.
2: That's what the poster said?
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie. Critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Rated PG thirteen. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile.
2: Chill out, guys. Too many podcasts. Too much stuff. Too much content. You've sold too many ads. Slow down. So, you know, we took December off. What are you going to do? Hey, you know, I know some other people did. Jerry Reinsdorf, Ken Williams, Ray Kahn. But anyway, we're going to get to that in the second half of this podcast. But welcome. My name is Brett Valentini, your very favorite White Sox fan. And I'm happy to be here with you for one of those, oh gosh, popular favorites. We call them Meet the Player Podcasts. Now, this guy we're doing the podcast with, we've already published this Meet the Player. We're going we're gonna to link it so you can read more about it. You've already read it, committed to memory, but go read it again. That's linked. But talking about that, facing grilling questions about his Meet the Players for the first time here exclusively on Southside Sox, it's Zach Hayes joining me Podcast 79. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Oh, man, thank you for giving me the time. As
2: I say, you might think you've heard this before. You probably haven't. My very best friend and favorite member of Southside Sox, it's Zach Hayes.
1: Wow. We I are tight. To what do I owe the honor? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Every, what have I ever done for
1: you? <laughs> and
2: if other people have heard that about themselves, maybe I was lying, or maybe it's just a 50-way tie. Hard to determine. Always,
1: they always told, told me I was the favorite anyway, so, you know.
2: Okay. Let's keep that rolling and let's spill right into the meet the players, which again, folks have a committed memory, but let's get it live on audio. Maybe for some of you, even video, let's jump right to the 2000 ALDS, which apparently, even though I was trying to grow a playoff beard at the playoff games, was your first pretty good White Sox memory or maybe first White Sox memory.
1: Yeah, I don't even know if memory is the right word necessarily, like impression, uh, I don't. I don't necessarily have a great play-by-play in my head. I do like distinctly remember sitting in uh, a living room of the small townhouse I grew up in on a crappy old boxy TV that was sitting on the stool in the middle of the room, uh, watching with my parents. And someone, someone's getting thrown out at home plate, or you know, I'm saying safe, but they're they're actually out. I, I don't <laughs> know exactly what's going on, and I know that they're losing. And that's uh, um, that's that's the first white Sox thing i can really recall i guess
2: well, it makes you feel any better zach i was at uh the one home game i don't know i don't remember but uh with my father and he was yelling safe every time players were out too so i mean you had some company there you know of course he had less excuse he has a few more decades on you as a human and a fan but um just as wrong um yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, uh, dear listeners, even at that very young age, Zach Hayes knew how badly Jerry Manuel had been outmanaged by Lou Pinella in that series. He knew it. He had a metric for it. He looked it up immediately. It's only been confirmed since. Uh, because yes, if any of you remember back, oh God, oh, 22 years ago, uh, that was rough. That was rough. It's, and I'm not even just talking about my haphazard attempt at a playoff beer. Boy, I thought you know I'd have like weeks, <laughs> but I had what did it turn out to be about three days. Um, Zach, I had just got hired into it; would have been my second sports job. It was the only actual, real good one I ever had, and my boss was a Cubs fan, and I still did the job. Uh, and uh, really I remember going in and on my first day saying, "You know what." I need to take tomorrow off because I'm going to the White Sox playoff game <laughs> and he didn't fire me. So, you know, I guess there was some crosstown understanding there. And when he lost the bet, lost some bet to me, he had to wear a White Sox jersey the
1: whole day. So. I had to wear a Sammy Sosa jersey when the Cubs won the 2016 world series. It was, uh, it was not fun. I took the field in the playoffs. It was a good bet, you know, but, uh, I was the resident <laughs> Chicago. I was the resident Chicago baseball fan in Annandale on Hudson, New York in 2016. So um we're not we're not many of us up there i think it's safe to
2: say uh zach a lot of really really bad things were triggered by the cubs even making it to the world series much less winning the world series i dare say making the cubs world series win seems small in the rearview mirror so yeah i'm gonna blame i'm gonna throw the cubs under the bus on that one had they just done what they always do oh gosh the world would be a much better
1: place right now but that's a different I guess, podcast. I guess if there's any like ridiculous silver lining to what happened a week later, it's that everyone forgot about the Cubs a little bit quicker than <laughs> a little quicker than they would have otherwise. Yes. I I was in college and I, I'm just glad I've always said in the back of my mind that I always sat like, you know, someday the Cubs are going to win the World Series and I'm going to have to deal with the fans that I spent my whole life talking mm. smack to. You. And I'm just glad they had the courtesy to do it when I was living in like, you know, eight states away. So. Yeah. I'll give and, him
2: that much, and uh, you know, and 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 not to lose, uh, not to get lost in uh, the fact that the uh, White Sox won first. That's pretty big. I know there's no rivalry, and they don't care about the White Sox, and I guess some White Sox fans don't care about the Cubs. Oh, I'm pretty happy that they won it a decade <laughs> before the Cubs did. Um,
1: Stop yeah, living can... in the past, man.
2: Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> for, for White them, side fever, catch that's, it.
1: That's what happens if you get there first.
2: <laughs> the um, uh, This has come up many times when we've just had general podcast discussions and even in meet the players discussions. It turns out I have been at a key game uh, along with, unknowingly, because even though we're best friends now, we weren't then. But uh, I think we have already discussed, but not on podcast. Zach, we were both at Mark Burley's perfect game, and interestingly enough, we had just given up our season tickets that were in section one forty-seven, which I believe you were sitting at for the perfect game. Hey man, let's
1: let's see. Let's I have the ticket right here. Take a look. Uh, <laughs> Proof yeah, yeah. of concept. Got it, uh, one <laughs> one 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 forty seven row one seat three. It was um they weren't our tickets. They were uh you know some they were they were given away basically. They were someone mm-hmm. else's season tickets. There was some kind of deal in place where we got them, but uh
2: <laughs> not a hot year. Yeah, so
1: funny.
2: that would be a, a year that you would be able to get a first row ticket to the White Sox, yeah. I suppose. Mm-hmm um uh,
1: yeah memories uh memories of that uh of that day uh man. catching the vibes yeah man i one feeling that i will never forget was watching gosh i can't even remember who it was that hit the the fly ball that became the Dwayne wise catch off the top oh of my head. gabe um, kapler crazy was it gabe, gabe Ka- Ka- i that was the name that i thought but i wasn't it. it was gabe kapler okay yeah uh I I will never forget the feeling like the sinking feeling in my stomach when the ball left the bat and being like, I mean, I'd seen, even at that point, I think I'd seen enough baseball where you get a sense sometimes when the ball leaves the bat, when you know it, you know it. And uh, I think everyone in the park was kind of like, ah, there, there, Mm -hmm. there, there it goes. There it goes. And, um, It's funny the people sitting in front of us because this is it was actually it says row one but it's actually like the third row because you have row AA or BB okay. or something like that right right in front, and the people in front of us had like a sign for Dwayne Wise. I don't remember what it said, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Dwayne Wise. I think he didn't even start. He didn't even get in the game All until right. the ninth. And so, uh, yes, yeah, so it was a strange, a strange day in many ways. I know about. I feel like I know like. I had three different branches of my family who also wound up the game completely different in different ways in different places. A strange strange and serendipitous day, I mm-hmm. might say. Yeah, I remember the gasp. The, the air went
2: out of the park for that brief, you know, whatever it was, like three seconds or whatever, the ball's in the air. Because, yeah, we all knew what was going to happen. And, uh, and somehow... Somehow it didn't, uh, it didn't happen. And, you know, I will say not that it was a big, it wasn't a big step out. I mean, the bases were full, but I did turn to at dad and said that Josh Field was going to hit a grand slam.
1: So. <laughs> the Josh Field grand slam. I remember him almost, he was playing first base and he almost, uh, he almost botched an easy pop-up in the wind somewhere down the line, if I remember. Yeah correctly how do man i can't even remember like half my friend's birthdays if i'm telling you that man i suck <laughs> well you put all you, listen you remember the important stuff
2: at least you know if you're a baseball fan that's pretty important so, <laughs> the important uh, stuff
1: right yeah.
2: <laughs> go figure well uh yeah so we were there together so many so many of us on south side were all the blackout game or maybe a particular playoff game and i think maybe more than one of us are at the perfect game but maybe not but
1: yes again my, my I you recall history. somebody at some point saying it maybe but um or maybe it was someone might have been a burley's no hitter as well but um <laughs> eh. well perhaps <laughs> i don't know maybe to some extent our our presence at such large moments is a large part of what leads us here i don't know those those tend to be tend to be difference makers in terms of lasting impressions. And um, I don't know what drives fandom.
2: A life defining moments that have brought Zach Hayes and Brett Valentini together at Southside Sox and writing for Southside Sox. Okay. Now I'm going to have to turn on you and we're going to have to uh, stand at opposite podiums. Mm -hmm. And you are going to have to explain to me why a very reasonable, very intelligent, very funny uh baseball fans such as yourself chooses major league as his favorite baseball film believe me you have more company than not most people on this site or at least among our writing staff seem to prefer that movie i can't figure it out so i would like a little bit of explanation beyond what you threw in the media
1: players man i don't even remember what i said there (laughs) um i will acknowledge that like many movies of that era there is a lot of stuff in there that is not age well um such as the nature of, of art, I suppose. Um, and we can appreciate that critically. That being said, uh, I think when you look at it, it just really stands out within the genre of baseball movie. Cause most baseball movies are so bloody corny. They take themselves. I mean, we've had this discussion yeah. about field of dreams ad nauseum for the past, however many months, mm-hmm. cause uh, if, what else has there been to talk about the white side? Right. <laughs> um, you know, it's they're so corny and they're so kind of self-absorbed and important. And like, like much of the modern game of baseball in general, just like really wrapped up in its own overwrought history and kind of contrived meaning. I find a lot of baseball movies just to be really like, ugh, just almost unwatchable like that. And um, you know, like a league of their own would be another exception for like, you know, it doesn't quite fall into, mm-hmm. fall into those tropes, but major league doesn't take itself too seriously. It's like, it's dirty. It's funny. It's, I would say it's like the ballplayers baseball movie, you know? Um, again, lots of things that have not aged particularly <laughs> well as, of, I mean, it's, charlie sheen for christ's sake you know (laughs) Uh, but i mean it's just the there's something about you know i mean there's a lot of elements of of baseball culture and sports culture that are horrible and toxic that are reflected in that movie but there are also a lot of elements of it that are incredibly fun and hilarious and are i don't know it reminds me of why i love baseball and what's great about baseball 10 times more than field of dreams or um god knows bull durham you know or kind of a lot of the movies that are typically cited in the uh the classic uh classic category
2: yeah i remember at the time having seen bull durham thinking "Geez, this is a really quick rush to sort of play off of that in a way that's just universally and obviously Mm -hmm. bull durham has its flaws but just as like universally dumber and you know it's worth saying too we have interesting demographics among the staff on the site and, and certainly major league hits a sweet spot for a good chunk of View is you as viewers. Um, you know, for me, I was already able to say, Oh, well, hey, you know, I, I'm too highbrow for that, right? you know, I don't know, whatever my attitude was about it, it just struck me as sort of dumb and sort of ripoffy. But you know, if I was five. 10 years younger, I'm sure it would have, it would have hit me, up certainly would have hit me much differently. And some of the humor would have got under my skin and been like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is the coolest thing, Willie Mays He's At first, he slid and he couldn't even get to the base. And then he was suddenly a great player. And I'll get past, I'll bite through my tongue but realize, okay, Cleveland can win and even beat the white Sox and root to winning and i can get past that but you know uh...
1: yeah, the, the white Sox seem to find themselves as villains in baseball movies like way more out like they're ne- like they're always kind of the big bad team at the end that needs to be beaten in multiple mm-hmm. movies um mm-hmm. and i uh, was <laughs> growing up i was like well, why we're not we're not we're not yeah. there but um you know, another thing about major league i will say though is that you know charlie i think it's pretty well known that charlie sheen was a ball player and he was mm-hmm. chucking like mid mid to upper 80s and like i look at the rookie. Dennis Quaid in a Tampa Bay <laughs> Devil Ray's form is freaking ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. come on. Charlie Sheen kind of actually looks like he looks like a ball player. They mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the it's well cast. They again, they just I think embody uh embody the fun of it more more than almost any other movie to to conclude. Just like the Field of Dreams discussion, this one's gotten away
2: for me and now it's turned out to be a commercial promoting major league. <laughs> uh these things always turn on me. Uh, Zach, but I will point out um, because, again, I heard the bell ring and it means that uh, Charlie Sheen's baseball skill necessitates that I share the fact that Charlie Sheen and I went to the same baseball camp in very, oh, yeah. very, very rural Missouri where you exactly. really couldn't do anything but play <laughs> baseball. So, you know, hey, listen, um, unfortunately, I never got to play a role in major league uh, right. and be the wild thing. Uh, Okay, let's get back on the same podium. Let's chat in something that I think that we might be against the grain on, which I find very hard to believe. Uh, Folks seem to think if you support Mark Burley for the Hall of Fame, you must be some kind of homer. And I actually find that rather offensive. Granted, Mark Burley is not... Okay, he's not uh, um, uh, Mike Mussina. He's not okay. He's not a slam dunk candidate. And he's not maybe in any ballot, maybe maybe in no ballot is he the best pitcher candidate. Maybe eventually he will be. But the idea that he's not a Hall of Famer, or that it's silly that he could be considered a Hall of Famer, or wow, the Hall of Fame is way too big of Mark Burley's in it, uh, is not just wrong, it's sort of offensive, Zach.
1: Yeah, I've, man, Hall of Fame talk. Um, looking <laughs> gotcha. forward to being nice for a second. <laughs> it's that time of year, wrong, But uh, yeah, Burley, I've I've changed my views on the Hall of Fame a lot in recent years. Um, and Burley is a large reason why, because I kind of stopped to think about it as I've gotten more and more just into being a very hardcore baseball fan and, and writing about it specifically and getting to know a lot of a lot of history and a lot of in-depth stuff is that realizing that not, you know, we knew that Mark Burley was something growing up. I, I don't think we anticipated when he was playing, how quickly the Mark Burleys of the world would disappear. Yeah. Put it that way. You know, even, I mean, I remember hearing towards the end of his career, like, oh yeah, he's got, you know, the streak of, he, he had, when he was with Toronto at the very end, he yep. he got blown up at the very end and missed his, uh mm-hmm. his what, 15 straight year of 10 yeah. wins and in 200 innings, which in 2015, everyone's kind of like, oh, like, cool, whatever. The idea of going, 15 seasons, 10 wins, 200 innings. Absolutely absurd these days. And, you know, Mark Burley, uh, he he did it throwing 86 miles an hour, like popping out 89. He was sitting like 83, 84 his last year, and he ran a mid-threes ERA up to the very end. Uh, He was special. And I think it's not the Hall of War. It's not the Hall of Stats. You know, it's not the Hall of Milestones. It is the Hall of Fame. And I think it's okay sometimes to recognize after the fact that a guy you weren't necessarily appreciating them as much as you mm-hmm. maybe should. Uh, and I think that's something that we can probably admit with Burley, because now that we see how you don't have starters who throw. I was just yeah. looking at this earlier. You had four teams in 20 um, in 2021 that had four starters throw make 25 starts. <laughs> Like nobody makes 25, 30 starts. I mean, Robbie Ray led the league in yeah. innings pitched and he was at 193. There's a lot of other factors at play here with this right. year specifically. But I mean, I think Burley is the perfect example of someone, especially as we exit the, hopefully exit the many years of hand-wringing about Bonds and Clemens and Breitbart-Curtain. Those guys uh, that we can say, okay, let's take some time to appreciate the guys who we didn't because of all of this other hand-wringing. Uh, and and, to,
2: and uh, to tie into your uh, movie thoughts, a guy who enjoyed playing baseball, who very clearly had a great time playing and didn't took it seriously enough, but didn't take it so seriously that anyone was going to die, whether he pitched or
1: didn't or won or lost. I mean, when you can get away with <laughs> saving a game in the World Series with uh, you know some pops in you, I get you over, then it's you know you can you can get away with anything. But exa- you know, he's it's such a self serious age to some extent, and yeah, uh, I put it this way: if every team had a Mark Burley, uh, there would be a lot more baseball fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another angle about Mark in the Hall of Fame that I've only come across recently. That I support is that the White Sox don't have a lot of generational stars. Uh, We don't have, I, you know, I could have, I grew up into the, you know, reading up to the gills about like Luke, Luke Appling and Louis Apparicio and the go-go socks, because what the heck else was there? (laughs) Uh, and the first person that this was broached about was Todd Helton in the Rockies. And Todd Helton is the icon for the Rockies. And for a fan base, it kind of sucks to be told the guy that you idolized for 10, 15 years, who was the re- like the reason you love baseball, who had an incredible career is the best player in you know, your franchise's history. Say, Oh, hall of famer. Of course not. Right. Like what are you talking about? And that kind of sucks. Uh, so yeah, make, let's have a big hall and let let's appreciate guys like, uh, like mark burley who was special and uh because of that meant meant a lot to a lot of people.
2: And if you want to um pick bones of the White Sox front office, which sometimes we do, um <laughs> you can point out the fact that he does not have a Hall of Fame case if not for his final acts in the game post-White Sox, when they made the decision to go John Danks instead of Mark Burley, rather than perhaps both. Both is always an option. It doesn't seem to be for the White Sox on the South side, but Um, because listen, he went to Miami and I think a lot of people probably even in Chicago said, well, okay, it's not going to be the same. He won't be as good. Um, the white sex made a decision and his career is going to not tank, but it's of course it's going to slip. It sort of didn't really up until that very last start of his career, and he could have obviously he could have continued to pitch, and he would mm. have been a productive player.
1: Oh, from what I understand too. From what I, I don't remember where specifically I read this. I mean, his 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 he his he tore up his shoulder towards the end. Uh, he was thrown, if I remember, that last start where he got blown up. He was thrown like eighty one or something like that. He was, uh, um, I think it finally kind of fell off for him towards the end there. But I mean, like after it, when is how many more? 200 win pitchers are, are, are there going to be? my nerd friends will, will say this is blasphemous, of course, but I I think that means something. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think the best way you could frame it with Burley right now is that if, um, the difference between him and Andy Pettit is pretty minimal. And I think Andy Pettit is a pretty good hall of fame case. And I think a lot of Yankees fans will certainly tell you that Andy Pettit is a very good hall of fame case. So um, there's, yeah, exactly. Like you said, if Burley Finish his career in a White Sox uniform too. Maybe we're looking at it a little differently. Mm. There's a lot of really dumb factors at play mm. here. So you know what? Just like screw it, like mm-hmm. let him in,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> open yeah. it up,
1: give people reasons, give White Sox fans and Rockies fans reasons to go to the right. town for sure. And 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 um,
2: you know, to the nerd friends, no, it doesn't have to mean what it used to mean. But that doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. I mean, you know, we we you still have to win. <laughs> Game still has to be won, you know. To okay, uh, and let's not forget. Again, I guess I'm going to be the bad cop for this podcast. uh Let's point out again: the uh, White Sox refused to. Uh, Mark did go back to the White Sox and say, "If you can give me this number, I'm in Chicago." The White Sox said, "No, <laughs> we F- were really <laughs> to go forty something million, but that extra million, no." <sighs>
1: And yet I think if I remember correctly, the numbers are pretty identical to what they gave Dallas Keuchel over like three years,
2: <sighs> years
1: ago. I mean, you know, inflation, things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, some of the numbers you see in retrospect are kind of like seriously, like mm-hmm. you really let the difference between 50 and 55 million is the reason why Mark Burley didn't mm-hmm. finish his career in a White Sox mm-hmm. uniform. That's that was it. And it turns out to be a nice preview of the
2: second half of this podcast. But before we take our break, I'm going to just ask one thing. And usually it turns out to be the question is usually, hey, what did you think when I decided to get in touch and say, hey, you want to do the Southside Sox thing? I think in a rarer case Zach, you may have been in touch with me. So at any rate, talk to me about your impression of Southside Sox was why you want to be a part of the site.
1: Oh man, I just wanted to write about the Sox more. I was writing for Pitcher List and a few other places, and I was writing mostly broad MLB stuff, like around doing player deep dives. And um, I did i definitely trended towards the Sox a little more when uh, mm-hmm. in, in my writing there. But uh, that's—it was—it was a fantasy-focused site at the time, so I was uh, writing a lot about that. And I wanted to just start writing about the Sox more because I found it fun. I found it easy. It was something I could, you know do off the top of my head and um so i was like all right you know i know some folks who are who are writing here they're cool people most of the the stuff here is is good stuff why why not why not take a shot interestingly enough that's usually the feedback we get
2: most of the stuff on the site is good stuff okay uh we're going to take a break this question segs into my next question which will probably make zach blush which i love uh, and it won't involve his legs. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break because SB Nation needs to sell you stuff. We've been off for like a month. And I got to tell you, their revenue's tanked. So we're back. Buy the thing they're selling, or at least listen to the commercial. We'll be back in just a second.
0: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to Bluenile.com. That's Bluenile.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.
2: Hey, White Sox fans, guess what? It is podcast number 79. I'm lucky enough to host podcast 79, and I've been lucky enough to host all the 78 previous. Rep Valentini, your very favorite White Sox friend. Another guy who is probably, maybe he's your second closest White Sox friend is with me on this podcast. It's a Meet the Players podcast with Zach Hayes. Welcome to the second half. And hey, let me hit you with a question. Zach, I want to know this. I can use numbers like a color in the Crayola box. Uh, I'm not scared of them. I can use them in a dumb way, like... um, speaking spanish but not really feeling spanish Mm -hmm. you however do your numbers differently you're a great analyst uh you have a lot of fun writing so you have humor you're not just one or the other and we have a number of people who analyze well on the side i won't name them all because there's too many and i'm confused when i read all their stuff so i don't want to give them any more shine Mm -hmm. but uh, that's a pretty rare gift. And I want to know how that comes to you because for me, it's a labor. It's not just cause I'm a more aged fan. I'm a more mature fan, but it's not something that I grasp as easily as it seems to come for you. Is it crawling over glass for you? Or is it something that, you know, as you know, you're able to sort of learn maybe a little bit more of a science mind, uh, and then you're able to translate into, uh, writing that allow somebody like me, who's at least a half step behind you, to sort of grasp it and say, "Hey, listen, I think I'm sort of smarter now."
1: Um, well, I'll say my my mom is a journalist and a and a writer in many different senses, so uh, it it runs in my blood. I cannot <clears throat> I cannot claim that uh, I have any kind of special talent or anything. It's just the uh, you know it's the family business to some extent. But uh, I you know I, I wouldn't even say I don't think like to think of it as like being a half step. Everyone, you know, people always say I feel like I'm a half step or a full step or whatever behind. And I think that's one of the things I enjoy about kind of mixing the two things when writing is that it's most of the time it's just me writing what I'm learning in real time. Like I'm not kind of going in there a lot of the time with a set understanding of a lot of the stuff. Um, what the final product of a lot of these, the, a lot of these articles, um, that you're kind of referencing here are the, final product of just me looking at things and saying, what's this, what's this, what does this mean? And sometimes it leads nowhere. And, uh, I don't know. So if you're, if, if, if you're learning anything from my writing on it, it's because I only learned it as I was writing damn near, uh, if that makes any kind of sense, you know? Uh, so I don't even really think of it as analytical writing. I'm doing, I'm kind of writing in my own I'm writing my own narrative as I'm, as I'm coming through these things, you know, or coming across them and working through them. I should oh, say. It's definitely a
2: gift and it's a gift you have. And, you know, I, I, I like to consider myself, I have been, and, you know, even now in this role, not formally, but consider myself a little bit of a, a teacher and it is always good to know that you're in a groove where you can connect with somebody and sort of get a point across them. And I know that's what you're getting the feedback you get from your writing and you're getting it from me um, now. But again, I think it's something that stands out as a pretty good gift and you're uh, clicking really well with it because it's not, you know, it's not stilted. Uh, it's not something that I stop reading because it's like, wow, you, you, you left me, I can't get in. And I suppose it helps to know that you're, your unquenchable thirst for knowledge is just really propelling you along and saying, okay, listen, I got to figure, I want to know the answer to this question. And you're just willing to go a little bit further than say, maybe I am to find out. But then beyond that, you're not just doing it for yourself selfishly. Thank you, because you are then sharing it with the rest of us, so that we can go, oh, okay, now I sort of get why. God, Kimball sort of sucks, and you know I know that's the one that really sort of <laughs> blew me away of all the stuff you did this year. But I mean each each one, and this goes for the Luke's mails and, and stuff of the size. Well, we got you know number of people doing that, uh, but I thought with some of the thoroughness you attacked things, uh, particularly uh, in in light of the trades made which were which seemed like steals and seemed like Rick Hahn just killed the rest of the league this year and I mean on paper he did in the moment he did it didn't work out um but then you you know explaining why is is a big you know i can just make a knee jerk and say "Well, that guy's got a he's got a nice war i I think that's a good deal for us but you know it's nice to be able to say oh okay i'm feeling a little bit more comfortable in where i'm at with this because look i've got some information not just telling you what i want to hear but giving me some uh some some pretty unbiased um take negative sometimes positive uh, other times that you know help fill out my knowledge of the team and i hope that's what people come to south side Sox for um maybe before they go to another side i would certainly hope so we have a pretty good roster of analysts now and if you're missing on something you're like oh i'm doing a picture listening man i can't do it then hopefully somebody else is picking it up saying oh hey wait <laughs> we got a new guy we better talk about this hey oscar Colas is on the team let's talk about him and you know um Thankfully, and Trevor was able to do that on the spot for us last year when, when like years ago, years before the actual signing, uh, apparently, ah, the news broke. But uh, it's something that really jumps out at me as something you're in a great groove of doing, and I appreciate you doing it for us. Uh, but again, triple threat, man, doing six-pack, done a little bit of recapping. I think there was a couple of recaps, fun. I like the fact that you're injecting um, the absurd and the humor uh, into the recaps, because that's really all I look for in anybody writing. Just, you know, make me laugh once. And then of course the uh, um, analysis, which, yeah, uh, do I really me- like
1: the numbers that much. Like this is the thing. I like doing the recap. <laughs> like I, I, you know, I'm, I am fully like, I was a lit, I was a literature and history major in college. I have a master's degree in American studies. I'm, entirely skeptical of empiricism and quantification and all of these things, uh, which I I think is (laughs) kind of what helps me keep them at a relatable distance to some extent, but it's not really like, you know, I would, I I guess what I'm I'm trying to say is that like, it's, things are easier to understand when it's not like numbers for the sake of numbers. I find that the stuff, Fascinating because it helps me like answer questions that I'm having with my eyes. I ask myself, why does Kimbrel suck? What tools do I have available to uh, help me find out? Like, I'm looking at his fastball and I'm saying, huh, his fastball, like, it seems like there's a big difference when he's like 95, 96 as opposed to 97, 98. And now uh, we have the tools to be able to really look at those things in depth and you know, most of the the numbers stuff is kind of just a residual of of learning how to use those tools just to to answer what my what my eyes are saying. So I'm I'm kind of hoping I'm I'm seeing the same thing. You know, making an effort in the writing at least to to see the same thing that everyone else is seeing because uh, you know no one really likes no one likes experiencing it through solely the numbers without the without the eyes in front of you too.
2: Well, uh, I if I have my druthers, I'm going to keep you pinned to the wall on analysis. But I think I believe, sir, you have talked yourself into more recaps and fewer six packs next year, based on what I'm. Oh, hearing. I love
1: doing this. I love I love looking at them. It's uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say I shouldn't say I don't like the numbers. It's that uh, they're not. You know, I, I they're they're a means to an end for me. I'm not someone who's super into analytics for the sake of like. Developing models and stuff—that's not really up my alley. That's fine.
2: That's fine. (laughs) Keep dancing. Uh, The decision's made. Keep dancing. Okay, let's talk broadly about the White Sox baseball and the world at large. Um, I have heard rumors, Zach. uh, Again, it seems like it was a long time ago, so you're going to have to refresh me here. Uh, I'm a little slower fan than you. I think there was an off season. I think the White Sox Mm -hmm. were technically able to be part of that off season. Uh, first of all, were they, and were you impressed by um, the noise they made in the mini, we're going to
1: spend a trillion dollars before the lockout offseason. season? Um, I was impressed that they had, you know, the audacity that they had to <laughs> try to sell us all the BS they did. <laughs> um, it's like, and you know what, it's, I'm, I'm not even mad. It's like, I, I, I'm not, it's what you expect. I find it funny to an extent when you do things like everybody Everybody knows that Bob Nightingale, as much of a joke as he is, is the chosen mouthpiece or the most reliable uh, mouthpiece for the White Sox front office. So you see things like Nightingale tweeting that the White Sox are in on Justin Verlander (laughs) all of three hours before Justin Verlander (laughs) with the Astros breaks. And you say to yourself, what are they doing? What are they trying? Are they just like, you know, I know when I'm being thrown a bone, guys. I just wish, you know, and it's, I don't like it, but it's understandable to an extent that you would want to know what system you're going to be working under before you make any major moves but it's just the insistence on bsing us at all yeah. all all corners is kind of is is not is not impressive <laughs> not impressive in the slightest um so you can say that yeah it's nice that they're throwing out all these rumors like oh we talked to marcus semi you know we had meetings with scott boris it's um we've 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 been here before <laughs> it's it is <laughs>
2: You can you can tell the days where Bob Nightingale doesn't get his Ken Williams diary entry emailed to him first thing because he's forced to then just sort of like go with what he thinks should be said. And then you get the things like, yeah, the White Sox are talking to and, you know, he like looks up and says, OK, um, veteran guy, maybe just a couple. of your, Yeah, Justin Verlander. That sounds right. And then, of course, immediately he gets the the scolding telephone call from the phone office. In.
1: But he's like, I can't delete it. Gonna hang my Verlander White Sox jersey right next to the Eduardo Escobar mm-hmm. one. That's fair. Mm-hmm that is fair um yeah really gosh what
2: a roster you could build just on nightingales <laughs> the nightingale white Sox, um the nightingale all-stars man <laughs> does it cut into the speaking of narratives is it cut into the story ownership wants to spin about i'm going to just guess here they're not being enough money to pay players when in like the 24 hours before a lockout they spend you know however many billion i don't know what it is was it a billion a trillion i don't know what it was a billion something dollars um or is that am i dumber just to say that bad and is there something deeper to that or more nuanced to that
1: i mean i'm not privy to anything at a close enough level to do anything more than speculate but i think to me, it says that the owners know at the very least that that line, the same line they, they tried to float over us for all of 2020 isn't quite going to work anymore. Yeah. They're not going to be able to cry poor. you know. Yeah. They know that Bill DeWitt isn't going to be able to say that uh, baseball is not a very profitable business. People are done being fooled by that. And I think uh, also given just the general social climate right now, I think our tolerance for that would be kind of low. And I think even, even they, to some extent, understand that. And they are simply... Um, I think they're just going to try to bulldoze their will. The fact that they haven't sat at the table in more than a month says that they're pretty comfortable with what, whatever it is they want to do. Um, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's, it's telling that a few teams wanted to win. Uh, I think the Texas Rangers spending all that money on Marcus Thanks. Semien and Corey Seager might be, you know, if anything, opportunism as much Thanks. as it says anything about the current labor environment. Uh Maybe, I mean, we saw when, when the lockout first commenced, Manfred very, very cynically initially like cited the spending spree as a reason that actually everything is really working like it's supposed to. So that probably plays a large part into it, uh, or at least some part into it. I, Lord knows what goes on in, in the minds of ownership circles and what they think is good for their bottom line. But, gee, um, it's the health the economic they i think they know by this point the economics are a losing issue and they just need to uh paint you know uh i lost my train of thought but it's all it's all it's all so complicated and depressing that yeah. it's uh, god knows there's just nobody knows i don't know well it's, you've got a a
2: a player group that you know um uh, the, the feeling is always that they can be broken because, you know, eventually there won't be money coming in. Whereas apparently Jerry Reinsdorf will still be collecting last year's like ticket kickback or whatever into this year. But um, mm-hmm. the, the coffers seem to be sort of deep. I don't know that it's, you can, that, that uh, players could as easily, you know, punt a season or a big chunk of a season as ownership because it never quite works that way. But the idea They're that, um, you know, that the, their line is pretty, uh, pretty firm. Uh, Seemingly, and their line also seems, I think, as you alluded, to be awfully logical. Again, in today's climate, the things they're saying—again, not that we're going to necessarily identify with the millionaires instead of the billionaires—but if you had to choose one, you would. Uh, Especially when a number of these uh, guys—they're still making considerably more. I'll dare—I dare say—than you or I, uh, Zach. But I mean, we're talking about guys really being the lifeblood of the league, not making not making uh, even the uh, seven figures, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to, you know, sort of see one side. It doesn't always seem reflected on Southside Sox. I'm, I'm curious with, with some of the pushback uh, readers give sometimes, but it seems like a no-brainer to me that there is a side that is more right here and that it's awfully easy to side with.
1: Yeah, this is this is it's a strange moment and it's a different kind of labor moment than it was last year or the last several uh, CBA negotiations or even everyone wants to talk about 1994 as the it being the most recent labor stoppage. But I don't necessarily think from what I understand, if I wasn't alive, of course, so I can only speak so much, but uh, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem terribly analogous, I think. Part of the issue is that there is a system that is close to irrevocably broken, and the players have hit a breaking point where uh, they know that they are essentially being used. Uh, they know exactly how they're being used and how they're being treated as replaceable parts. They know the mechanisms that the owners are using to, you know, to make that reality happen uh, via arbitration, via minimum salaries, via service time suppression, via <clears throat> uh via using analytics to figure things out like we shouldn't pay guys after they turn thirty. So you see know, the salaries have fallen for three consecutive years. There's kind of a breaking point here and I think part of the reason why ownership is so comfortable uh both with the spending money, the ones that did at least, and with the not negotiating is that I think they're you know barring some kind of barring a radical change to the system uh and the power structures of major league baseball, the owners are still going to come out on top. They're still going to have the more advantageous side of the deal. The, the, um, you know, the, the, the bar has been pushed so far towards the ownership side over the last few decades of labor negotiations, as it is that, uh, even Even some of the bigger concessions that the owners can make are still going to be wings and still going to lead to an incredibly favorable situation and I think they're they're very aware of that, and I think the radio silence is maybe a reflection of that so in uh and knowing that that's all the case, I don't know why you would side with them if you have to pick sides, yeah. you know.
2: Uh, Almost by definition, probably in any of these circumstances, certainly in a sports circumstance, they can't lose. They can win like the least Mm -hmm. amount, the lesser amount. They can't lose. Losing means you don't have the structure that exists. You know, ownership Mm -hmm. by definition sort of has to win. And when some of the ownership has decided to say the really, really, really quiet thought bubble stuff out loud and we've seen several different sources doing in mm-hmm. different varieties like uh what you do with draft picks or or how we are actually going to s- suppress the advancement of players to get that extra year that special extra year that's probably all going to go away with the new agreement mm-hmm. why not to thinking that way uh that you know i mean granted they can they've shown their asses Forever. I mean, that's again, that's another thing that just is part Mm -hmm. of this. On ownership side, they're just gonna do that and they still get away with it. So you're right, though any loss by ownership is it's only it's only so big a loss. They are still the ones signing Mm -hmm. the checks, they're still the ones running anything, they're still the ones who have basically set it up where it's impossible for them to lose money. It's just like business in America today. Whoa, this podcast is getting crazy where you, you really, you cannot lose. It's just, you know, how Mm -hmm. much are you going to decide you have to win? And I guess the radio silence says, well, they're still holding out hope that somehow they can just somehow they can come back into 2022 with even a better position than before, which at this point, I think they're at the edge of the cliff. I don't think you can really push players.
1: I don't think you can take any more uh,
2: Mm -hmm. than they already
1: have. I think that's kind of the the moment that we're at right now and I've personally not to get too bleak but I've been I've been <laughs> fairly convinced that we're going to be losing games next season for really ever since the the character of the 2020 negotiations became clear uh, it seemed yeah. it seemed very very obvious that This was not going, nothing, nothing was being done in good faith. And the fact that they're not the reportedly as of, I think it was passing who just reported today or yesterday, that they're not even expected to start up negotiations again for another two, three weeks. So the fact that the player's side, I mean, that tells you that the player's Mm -hmm. side is preparing to dig in too. Um, And that is to some extent kind of what gives me hope too, because uh, the ownership side is banking on this. Sa- I mean, the same thing has happened. It happened in the NBA in 1998. It ha- It's happened in almost every labor dispute in professional sports over the last 30 years is that at the end of the day, when it comes time to lose paychecks, the players have difficulty staying together. And the ownership class is really, really good at <laughs> pitting the, the, you know, as, as you could say in almost every... And- any strata of society, kind of the top, the very top one, two, five percent of players against everybody else. Uh, so by the time it's time to lose paychecks, yeah, the guys who are making minimum salaries are going to say, "Let's make a deal." The fact that they are digging in and saying it seems at this point that spring training is it's being starting on time is already almost a lost cause. Mm-hmm. If we're not even going to start negotiating until the end of January. Hitchers right. and catchers are only supposed to report in what, 40 days or something right. like that. It's uh yeah. so the fact that the players seem to be really digging into that extent tells you that they maybe feel like they just don't even have a lot to lose at this point. Uh, yeah. People like Scherzer, Max Scherzer is the, uh i believe i don't know what the exact role is but he's the head of the player side of things he's the top player representative him and andrew miller and scherzer has been very very vocal and on the record about saying the bs is over like mm-hmm. we are here to fight we are with, here to get a fair deal for ourselves with so. the
2: most to lose which is not something mm-hmm. to to lose track of here he really does mm-hmm. i mean granted he's made
1: his money he doesn't
2: he's got the most literally the most to lose this year and he's the guy who's probably been so far he's the guy who can afford to be but the most hawkish um, right now. And I mean, they need a two year
1: deal. He loses, he loses a good chunk of his (laughs) salary coming up if there's a labor stoppage and he signed a two year deal because he wanted to reset the market for starting pitchers, Uh, you know, because that is his job as a, as a union representative, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So he's somebody who is clearly very, very serious about, about this role. So I think there's um, there was kind of a lot of optimism maybe towards the commencement of the lockout is this kind of last ditch, like, Oh, You know, there's a fair point to saying, actually, a work stoppage isn't the worst thing in the world, because that's how things get done sometimes. But um, this is going to be an interesting one. This is something that we haven't seen, I don't think, in my lifetime, necessarily. Did I
2: say uh, that you had talked yourself into White Sox recap? I think what I meant to say is uh, you've talked yourself into um, minor league recap. So but either way, we're going to get you <laughs> doing some recaps. So that's pretty cool. And, you know, we're going to get some of that uh, in, in some ways less work. You just get to, you know, you get to do your um, you get to do your poetry slam, not necessarily your, your very well researched and uh, drafted and drafted and redrafted. Poetry. So yeah, I, I'm sorry. Maybe I misspoke. Uh, I think I did say earlier White Sox recaps. I think I meant um, uh, Charlotte Knights or perhaps Canapolis uh, Cannonballers Ballers recaps. So you know, strap in. It's going to be fun. You'll have some. You'll you'll be able to get some new uh, souvenirs to put up on the back of the wall there uh, from the uh, the different um, different affiliates. So you know, good good news for our minor league coverage. Uh, maybe uh, bad news for a major league season, but. <laughs> we'll see. You know, Christmas is past. It's not coming again for a while, but you know, maybe there's a there's a gift under the tree in March or April or May or June or July.
1: Uh we've started a
2: season oh. at the end of July before Zach, so it's not like it's unprecedented anymore. You know,
1: it's And I think I mean, I've been I've said this is all really depressing and stuff like that, but I think part of it is that we almost have a responsibility as fans. If we are actually supporting the players to be like, you know what? I really hate losing games, but if that's what it takes, then, um, yeah, that's what it takes. That's how labor and solidarity works. You know, uh, I'm not going to pretend like I have a huge, huge stake in things, but I know that my interests align with the players much more than they do with the owners. And so if being deprived of a couple months of baseball, uh, a con- contrary to popular belief i don't think baseball is dying i don't think it's going anywhere if it takes a couple months of lost games to really put those people on you know up against the wall then if so it was res-
2: if it results in a significant that. step forward rather than this sort of like well we got to it's a for mm-hmm. sort of felt that way in 2020 where it's like well everybody's looking at us so we better start playing right. uh mm-hmm. even though we don't we hate each other we don't really want to play for you and mm-hmm. you don't really want to pay us um so, yeah, if it took that kind of sacrifice, I would hope that most fans, as much as they're going to be dying, especially after enough uh, negative windchill days in Chicago, just like, oh, my God, just give me some normalcy. I need to see spring training. I need to know that I can freeze my ass off on uh, the 31st of March uh, at Sox Park. Um, but, I, you know, hope knowing that maybe there's a, a greater good ahead by just taking a little step back if it need be in order to have – It's only got, you can say peace. It's never going to be peace. There's always going to be some warring going on, right? But I mean, you know, closest thing we can get to peace, that's the best for the game. Imagine not worrying about this and having both sides be happy for like five years. That seems impossible. It's not impossible. And if it was, man, we wouldn't have to talk about this crap for like five years. And hopefully it would just spill into the next agreement, right?
1: Maybe this is all... This is all Jerry Reinsdorf's master plan. He's secretly on our side. Little did he know when he hired Arturis Karnaschovas to, to run the Bulls that the resurgent Bulls would keep the White Sox fans happy enough through April, May, and June right. to not be mad at the players when games are getting lost, you know? So and, and in all seriousness, that's what they're, I mean, that's why I say that as fans, we kind of have a little bit of a responsibility to an extent because that ownership, the entire crux of their strategy here is that we are the ones who are going to apply the pressure to the Mm -hmm. players. We're going to be the ones holding up the signs and calling them greedy and selfish and, uh, and, and kind of denying them all of the trappings that are supposed to come with being beloved professional athletes and stuff like that. So I would like to think that we can, after 25 years of, of losses on the player side, given the current, again, social climate, we can come to some kind of understanding of what's really going on here and no, no, where our uh where i fight our fights should lie
2: jerry Better. just wants to give you the opportunity because you weren't <laughs> alive after all to write that sign you want to be able to call those players the greedy pigs that they are okay you heard it zach hayes has broken the news white Sox will be moving in 2022 back to the baby blue zip up reds which means red pinstripes because the white Sox fans are going to want to see red so guess what <laughs> We, we have news. It's trickled out. Uniform change. And it's Zach Hayes. Direct all your mail and tweets to him. Not me. Zach, I think this probably covers all we need to even though I think we've scratched several full podcasts in just this discussion. And who knows, not a whole lot of stuff going on. So maybe we'll have one of those podcasts uh, sooner than later. But thank you for uh, joining up with me and letting, uh, letting our readership and sometimes even viewership uh learn a little bit more about you
1: i don't know man you learned you let me talk long <laughs> enough to lose my train of thought about 15 minutes ago so i think you're the one who did me a favor I, uh, uh, so now we're just so both certainly did y'all not but thank you, thank <laughs> you. <laughs>
2: all right for zach hayes you know again my closest friend and the very best Southside Soxer out there ever probably for all time no offense to the old guard it's just the way it is sorry the metrics point to it for zach hayes i am brett you wrapping up Number 79. Hey, welcome back. Nice f- nice of all you to remember. There's a thing called Southside Socks and a thing We're called Southside Socks Podcast. We're here. Please continue to frequent. You know, if you don't really care that much about prospects, what else you got to do? Vote in the God dang top prospect poll. Please read about the guys you might never read about. We're in like the 90s and the 80s right now. They might never get a story written about them. This is these guys' time to shine. Hey, give them a little shine. Drop a comment that something, aside from... The guy's got a funny name and got teased in school. All right. That's what we got going right now. Hopefully, we're going to have more podcasts to come. We'll see. We'll see what SP Nation says. If we sold enough ads, if you guys brought enough products, we'll probably Buy be back. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks, Zach. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Right. With uh, Without you, of course, there's no point for us even being here. So uh, we'll have something back at you probably sooner than you're even ready. But uh, strap in. Stay tuned. We'll be back soon.